0: Hi, I'm Jake Parker, and this is my podcast, Beyond Fit. My goal is to help you live a happier and healthier life by providing actionable knowledge and advice about a wide range of health and fitness topics, as well as self-improvement. If you want to find out more about me, visit my website, jake-parker.com. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hi, guys. This is Jake Parker on the Beyond Fit podcast. Today, my guest is Chris Is Am I saying that correctly? Correct. All right. And he uh, is a natural competitive bodybuilder. He also is a scientist and works at the University of Tampa, does a handful of different studies in relation uh, to that. So I'll kind of let him give an intro here. But I've heard Chris on a couple different podcasts. Uh, I've been following him on Instagram for a while, seeing his work. And so I thought he'd have some valuable things to add as far as natural bodybuilding goes. And then other stuff we kind of talked about before, as far as internal environment habits, things I like to talk about on the podcast. And that's, you know, uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know, I could go on and on about. So I'll let Chris go ahead and say hi at his end.
1: For sure, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, guys. So my name is Chris Barakat. I'm a natural bodybuilder. I'm also an adjunct professor at the University of Tampa, uh, where I do research in the human performance lab there. So most of my research is on bodybuilding related topics. Um, we've investigated things like auto regulation of exercise selection. Um, we looked at advanced training techniques from drop sets to supersets. Um, we have a study coming out on repetition tempo. We have another study coming out on intraset stretching. Um, I published this study on varying joint angles and training at different muscle lengths and how that affects muscle activation and stuff like that. So, um, I've been really fortunate to be involved in research that I truly love. I've been fortunate enough to conduct that research, uh, some research studies as principal investigator myself, and I, I love the team I work with, and it's, it's been a pleasure to collaborate with my team there. So, um, yeah, uh, my mentor there is Dr. Eduardo de Souza. He's originally from Brazil, and um, he basically is the one who oversees a lot of the studies coming out of our lab.
0: So how long have you been working towards this sort of path as far as like educationally and what what course did you take to get there? And how long have you known that this is something that you've wanted to pursue?
1: Yeah, so uh, in 2013, it was my second competitive season. I was only only 21 years old at that time. Um, It was my second competitive season. I started competing at 19 and I was studying athletic training at Stony Brook University in Long Island. And originally, I wanted to um, pursue my, my master's degree or get a, a clinical doctorate in physical therapy. I thought I was going to be on, you know, a clinician in the rehab setting, so to speak. Um, and during that time, I just kept kind of diving deeper into the, the fitness industry and the natural mm-hmm. bodybuilding space. So um, it was my junior year where I came across the uh, master's program at the University of Tampa. Uh, I started to think like, all right, maybe I won't do physical therapy. Maybe I'll look at this. And then, um, my senior year I applied and and once I got in, I kind of knew I was going all in on this. I started coaching clients back then in, in 2013, uh, even 2012, I had my first client step on stage who who was just a really good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started coaching at a young age, was always interested in the research, um, but my perspective completely changed once I actually got involved and started doing data collection, understood developing a study design. And, and uh, once, my ha- once I got my hands in, involved, everything kind of changed. But something I'm extremely passionate about and I'm super fortunate about uh, mm-hmm. to work in. So, yeah, around 21 years old. And then by the time I was 23, I was like, fully committed to you know, coaching full time and, and making this my career.
0: And so what are some of your thoughts and feelings about the fact that I think that to me uh, physique building or bodybuilding of any sort is really interesting when you look at the balance of like anecdotal evidence versus like the science and the hard data that you're looking at. So obviously you're out there living it. Uh, How much of that do you think is like plays into your role as a bodybuilder and like in clients as well?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So One thing I will say, when I was younger, I think this is what a lot of people do, uh, what what just the majority of people that look at exercise science and research that haven't been involved, they probably probably have a very similar perspective Mm -hmm. compared to what I previously had. And that is when I would see a study come out and and somebody in the fitness industry that's very well respected shared that study and shared those findings, I took those findings as black and white. This is a Mm -hmm. hard truth. This is how I need to approach my training, or this is what I need to implement, this is the change I need to make. Um, and then over the, over the years, I've, I've quickly been able to uh, see that it's, it's not black and white by any means, there's a huge mm-hmm. area of gray, and there's a lot of flaws uh, within the study designs, and or there's a huge variance between how different individuals respond. So looking at the group means of what a study is reporting, um, might not be Uh, super indicative in regards to what you should do if Mm -hmm. you're chasing certain physique goals or what you should do when you're programming for your clients. So I think anecdotal evidence still is pretty strong. Um, There's things that I've done years ago that I got away from because the research didn't support it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, But now I may find myself going back there because I had evidence, even if it was N equals 10 from 10 different clients Mm -hmm. that it was working um, whatever it may be. So it's important to take both sides of the spectrum and take everything with a grain of salt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really cool when people like you are out there doing the hard science, but also living it at the same time. And I was kind of just thinking like, there's a lot of different people that I really look to the most for information in, in the fitness industry. And I really like Mike Matthews, which I think I first heard you on his podcast. And like his background Mm. is, is really that anecdotal, like what worked for him. I mean, he definitely delves into studies and stuff like that, but that's kind of what got him started. And then I like uh, a lot of stuff from Lane Norton too, where he's like the far end of the spectrum of like data driven. And, you know, he got his uh, PhD, I believe it was. And so I think that it's, it's cool to sort of go back and forth between these different, uh, different spectrums.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mike, Mike Matthews is a great guy. Um, really. I'm, I represent Legion athletics too. So yeah. I'm great, okay. Yeah. That's right. To work with him. Um, I have a good relationship with him and I, I love what he's doing with Legion athletics and, I love the approach he takes to like general fitness. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. he he really is uh, super niched in like the bodybuilding space in regards to mm-hmm. competitors, but like for general fitness, people that are just trying to improve their physique, like physique building, uh, he does a great job of kind of simplifying the science and, and giving the people like what you should do to get you know the majority of the results with yeah. uh, 80, 80% of crossing your T's and dotting your I's kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something I, I've said to my followers a lot and something I like to reiterate is the fact that like, if you are just working out uh, for more or less the phys- the physique aspect, like, of course, we all want to be healthy. And it's like Mike Matthews says a lot, you know, being healthy, if you have a healthy body composition, and you gain some muscle, and you control your body fat, that's going to take you a lot of the way as far as your health markers go. But uh, I I've I've kind of like, put the message out there to people, it's like, You kind of are a bodybuilder in a sense, if you're just like the everyday person who's wanting to get in better shape and have a good physique. And I I wish that's why I like it so much, because it's very tangible evidence that you can give to people, you know, whether it's a guy or girl that wants to get in better shape. So I just think that there's a lot of information to be had there in the in the bodybuilding space. And I wish it wasn't like this big broad word that kind of that conjures up like pictures of like Ronnie Coleman and Phil Heath and stuff like that.
1: No, I totally agree. Uh it's cool to see it be a little bit more mainstream and um the lifestyle of what bodybuilders do is extremely just it is going to improve your overall health markers, right? So Gun mm-hmm. Pop takes some of those uh, concepts and some of those practices and puts it into play. They are going to improve their health, and it's good to see that. You know,
0: mm-hmm. and like I've kind of I've I've gone a little bit away from like the more if it fits your macros dieting and stuff like that. But it's I think it's always frustrating when people go the other end. And like I have friends that don't have like much knowledge, and they're kind of like trying to get in better shape, and they're like, okay, I'm not going to eat any dairy, any processed foods, any you know, like this or that, any carbs. Yes. And it's like, you don't have to do that. Like, I wish that a lot of people, if, if even even if it was only like a period of a few months, spent time tracking macros and doing like, if it fits your macros to realize that it's 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 really what it takes. Like my Instagram post today was about that. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard about that professor at Kansas State that did like the Twinkie diet. I posted about that today that? because it was cool. like, he, he did like, he ate like Hostess cupcakes and stuff for like two months and lost weight. And just to prove yeah. the point that, yeah, we want to eat nutrient-rich food. We want to get, you know, our vitamins and we want to get a high protein intake and different stuff like that. But first and foremost, if it comes to your body composition, it's calories in, versus calories out. Although, you know, people aren't an equation, so it's hard to, sure. it's, it's hard to, you know, put that into practice all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I remember there was a, I think it was a high school teacher a couple years back, he ate McDonald's for 30 days straight mm. and uh, he lost a ton of weight, improved his cardiovascular health is blood markers, hormonal panel, cholesterol, the whole nine. So yeah, it's cool to see that. I, I think tracking your macronutrients, if you do that for three months for a gen Pop person, um, you will learn so much about food, Absolutely. portion sizes, what's a carb, what's a fat, what's a protein, what's kind of a hybrid between these, or what has a combination of these nutrients. And you just understand like, okay, I need to do a much better job selecting certain food sources because they provide me with certain macronutrients. and I need to have the proper portion and proper ratio of that. So I think it's a, such a valuable tool and it's really empowering to control your body composition the rest of your life, even without actually weighing out food and mm-hmm. tracking macros for the rest of your life. But by doing it strictly for three months, um, you'll learn how to flexibly diet and it's just a skill that you can kind of carry, Um, with you for the rest of your life like I haven't tracked macros extremely strictly since 2017 since my last contest prep Um, but it's weird I still weigh out food I just don't Mm -hmm. put anything in my fitness pal Mm -hmm. but it's kind of still all in my head like I know what the proper portion is I kind of know what I need Um, so yeah just because I've done it for I guess I I track macros strictly for like six years which is Mm -hmm. a, a bit excessive for sure, but that enabled me to flexibly diet and, and control my body composition without tracking.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm very close to the same way. And I'm just kind of thinking here like it's interesting how it seems like macro tracking is a lot more understood and practiced now. Whereas I don't know a lot about the bodybuilding uh industry like 10, 15 years ago, but it seemed like there was much more of that lore of like cleaning and you have to eat clean. And I remember, uh, you, you do a lot with Jeff Nippard, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. collaborated on the books together.
0: Okay. Yeah. I remember watching one of his, his YouTube videos recently and he like went over like an old diet plan from like when he was bodybuilding 10 years ago or something like that. And it was like, yeah, yeah. it was like he was eating these foods every day because he thought this is what he had to eat at these certain times. And like it turned, well, not that it turns out like it's kind of obvious, you know, if you, if you look in hindsight, but it's like, yeah, he was just hitting these good macronutrient goals on a day-to-day basis. It wasn't necessarily the cleanness of the food or not. So do you think that that's changed a lot? I guess that's kind of my question there.
1: Yeah. And, um, it's definitely changed a lot in the natural bodybuilding space. There are, it's, it's really interesting to see differences between natural bodybuilding and enhanced bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. Um, the enhanced route still kind of, (sighs) they're, they definitely uh, have a different perspective when it comes to clean eating versus if it it's mm-hmm. the macros. They're kind of like non-believers in, in it, so to speak. And that's just generalizing at a whole, which I don't yeah, like, yeah. I don't like to do. But I also don't know a lot of enhanced competitors that flexibly diet. Mm-hmm. They're primarily on meal plans where they just have like a select list of foods that they eat from. They mm-hmm. don't just like track and and eat what they want as long as it fits. So, um, in the natural bodybuilding space, it's changed a lot. Everybody used to just eat clean and and kind of follow those very old school principles, a a much more narrow-minded thought process. Um, but now for the most part, everybody is tracking their macronutrients and I'm happy to see, I think at first when, if it fits your macros got very popular, people went too far end on that spectrum and they Mm -hmm. were eating. Way too much processed foods. They weren't eating almost any nutrient dense foods, and they were just mm-hmm. like fitting in whenever they can. Um, but we're getting back to a space where there's a lot more balance. But we're still um, utilizing the positives of flexible dieting and macro tracking.
0: Yeah. So two of the problems that I see with that, and I'm curious how you think about these, or if there's any more that would jump to mind. But wouldn't you go too far in the if it fits your macro side? And I've definitely been there exploring it. It's I think that you go uh, too low on micronutrients. And then the other issue I think that people run into is just f- that feeling of hunger. Cause if you're eating a lot of processed foods, you know, a thousand calories of processed foods fills you up a lot less than chicken and rice and bot and, and like typical bodybuilding foods like that, that we think of.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, I think when you're too far on the side of the spectrum of eating a lot of processed foods, besides having nutrient deficiencies, um, Essentially, a lot of people have a lot of digestive issues. They feel bloated a lot. Um, They might be constipated. um, And they actually, they're definitely going to be more hungry for a few reasons. A lot of processed foods are, you know, higher on the glycemic index. So besides spiking insulin, that kind of leads to a spike in adrenaline. And therefore, your hunger hormones start going up too. You're just not as satiated. Obviously, the food volume is much lower. Um, So adhering to a certain calorie goal while eating um processed foods like sticking to a calorie deficit is going to be way more challenging Mm -hmm. and then because of some issues with like blood glucose not really being nice and stable you're kind of going up and down by eating the processed foods your energy levels aren't going to be as good you kind of Mm get a crash at certain times throughout the day and then from a performance perspective you're not going to be training um you're not going to have as good of endurance when you're training, your performance isn't going to be there and your recovery isn't going to be as good. So a lot of people don't realize that there's so many things that has that trickle down effect or that snowball Mm -hmm. effect. Um, and they're like, Oh, it's not really a big deal, but it really can be, it really, really can be over time.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, uh, hold on one second. Yeah. I remember, uh, one of the really interesting points I heard one time was uh I got a question answered by the uh Mind Pump guys. Uh I listen to their podcast a lot and my question was why you see, you know, bodybuilders typically going for that more clean eating approach versus flexible dieting and my point was just kind of, you know, as we learn more about flexible dieting and fitting macros, like why isn't that kind of reflected more and the the point that they made was especially if you're getting close to competing and really are tracking calories closely, it's like a lot of the flexible dieting type stuff, like going to Chick-fil-A or, you know, like a healthier, like fast food option, Chipotle. Like you just don't know exactly what you're getting because mm-hmm. they, they it can vary by individual person. Like, it's not like they have to, they're, they're ever going to be like to the calorie. You could be hundreds of calories off, say the best example is like a bowl of Chipotle. Who knows, you know, if the guy's giving you one serving of rice or one and a half servings of rice or, you know, two servings of beef or whatever it is. And so the point they made was like, especially if you have a goal in mind and and a competition in this, in this point with bodybuilders, you have to really be down to the gram with your food. If you really want to separate yourself. And I thought that was an interesting point where where the difference kind of lies there.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like if you're, if you're getting stage lean, you can't risk uh, going out to eat and then having 15 grams of Mm -hmm. oil added to your meal that you didn't know about. And now you're over, you know, 170 calories that you weren't expecting to be or whatever it may be. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just the, the oils can add up really quick. Your tracking just isn't going to be accurate. So you you might assume that you're getting 50 grams of carbs, but you're really getting 75, whatever it may be. Um, mm-hmm. And then also when it comes to processed foods like snacks that are that are in bars that you're scanning and you're putting in MyFitnessPal, they're allowed to have the 20% variance. So 20%, just because it's... Okay. Yeah, that's, that's allowed by the FDA, and that's the norm. So if the thing says it has 10 grams of fat, it doesn't mean it has 10 grams of fat. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, Quest Nutrition got slammed for that years ago. Um, their Quest Bars, their macros were way off. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, yeah, like if you compare like the same exact flavor of Quest Bar, their nutrient facts now compared to what it used to be, the, the fats used to be labeled way, way lower than it currently is. They mm-hmm. have to like redo the formula, this and that, but you really can't trust that stuff when you're, when you have a very serious goal in mind. So um, that can definitely, yeah, that can definitely play a role. And then one other point I want to make is if you're eating different foods every single day, but you're still tracking your, your body weight every single morning and you're paying attention to your seven day averages, like mm-hmm. a lot of people in the space do, um, if you're eating different food sources every day, your food volume is going to be way different. Mm. Um, and that can really affect your daily weigh-ins. Like water, stuff of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. And just literally like how much food you ate in, in regards mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. weight of it. Okay.
0: Right? So, like,
1: so that can really mess around with your weigh-ins. Whereas if you eat the same staple foods every single day and like, you're not necessarily following the meal plan, but you kind of are without mm-hmm. like, without a thing to the tea. Your weigh ins are gonna be um, much more stable, and like that data and that feedback is gonna be much more reflective of what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, so, that can kind of confuse people. Like, they might step on the scale and they don't think they're making progress because their weight's fluctuating a lot, but they, they actually might be. Um, so, the more consistent you are with those variables, the more the data and the feedback actually means like the more you can trust it.
0: Okay. So I'm curious, do you have an example of like a a food or a handful of different foods that might really throw a wrench at things that are a good example of like something that, you know, just might make, make measurements or weights weird for a period of time.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'll just like, you know, a good friend of mine who used to compete in the past, he was overdoing this if it fits your macros thing. Um, so like, just for example, he would eat one day where, it was mainly like whey protein, protein bars, cereals, Pop-Tarts, um, maybe a serving of fruit here and there. So it was mainly processed goods, like a lot of processed snacks. And mm-hmm. he was trusting the, macronutrient, mm-hmm. um, the macronutrients that were on the label, on the food label. And a lot of those protein bars were like super high in fiber. Um, and they were kind of backing him up so he wasn't having normal bowel movements. Mm-hmm. So that's throwing off his weight. And then the next day he might eat a little bit more clean and have a lot more whole food and the amount like let's just say he was eating 2500 calories from processed food compared to 2500 calories of whole food the actual food weighs a lot more in terms of weight compared to the processed food so when you're actually ingesting that that's Mm -hmm. also affecting your actual body weight so Now the scale weight's fluctuating so much on a day-to-day basis that it makes tracking progress way harder. Whereas if you're just very consistent and you kind of have staple, staple approach in your, in Mm -hmm. your diet, like this is my breakfast, this is my pre-workout and then dinner fluctuates, you're going to be way better off than every single meal is different all the time.
0: Okay. Well that brings up another point that I wanted to get to here is just what other, Common misconceptions or mistakes do you see, and you can kind of go either way you want with it, like uh in the more casual like person that wants to build a better physique you know is in the gym constantly or frequently versus like the really competitive bodybuilder
1: okay um let's do both I guess right let's start okay. with the the casual kind of um more gen pop lifestyle person that's looking to build a big a better physique um I think a lot of them get too caught up in some of the finer details, Mm -hmm. but they're not, uh, tracking some really important variables. So Mm -hmm. a lot of gen pop people might be following like a paleo diet, or they might be eating clean, but they're not actually tracking what they're Mm -hmm. eating, eating nutrient dense. Um, they would be way better off, eating a little bit less nutrient dense and being more flexible as long as they were tracking what they were eating um, Mm -hmm. rather than eating super clean, but not tracking it at all. Uh, I see that happen all the time. Um, I see a lot of gym pop people too. They train pretty darn hard in the gym, but they never log their weights. They never Mm -hmm. write down Mm -hmm. what they're lifting. Just want to get sore and sweaty. Yeah. They just want to have a good sweat and they want to feel like they had a good workout. Um, and they're the ones that are like, I'm not making any progress. It's like, Mm -hmm. of course you're not, you're not tracking anything. So, um, it's really easy to have a good workout and it's much more complicated to actually make progress over the long haul, right? Like you can go to like a boot camp, a boot camp class, or you can do like any sort of circuit training workout. You can go into a prostate gym and you know, you'll get your heart rate up. You'll Mm -hmm. feel sore the next day. You'll create some sort of muscle damage. you'll induce some sort of stimulus that was positive but if you're doing this five days a week you can't just kind of wing it
0: you yeah know? and just like uh, the newbie gains too is probably kind of can be harmful to people because they're like oh man this is really working like i'm i'm getting bigger and stronger and then once you are reached like an intermediate phase then you things are more important like tracking your lifts and stuff like that
1: sure sure yeah or they're like I made so much progress early on winging it and doing this. Mm-hmm. So why aren't I making progress now doing the same mm-hmm. thing? And that's because of those variables. Like you're still lifting the 55 pound dumbbells that you were mm-hmm. four months ago. So that's, that's mm-hmm. the issue.
0: And I think, I think the thing that I really want to mention, uh, on your former point on the first point about like someone who eats like quote unquote clean, the biggest problem that I see, and I definitely used to be a victim of this too, is like, say someone considers themselves like, Oh, I'm paleo. And they eat these like really clean, strict meals throughout the week. And then it's like, Oh, but I have a cheat day on Saturday or Sunday. And then it's like, people don't realize that you can eat like 5,000 calories. And that's really just going to kind of screw over what you did the whole week. And so I think that it it gets stated a lot. Uh, by people in the industry, but I, I wish that it, it's it's kind of hard until you really realize it for yourself what that could do to your progress.
1: Yeah, for sure. Or they're doing something as as small as you know snacking on like nuts and dried mm. fruit, and like they're having like a six hundred calorie snack without realizing it, where mm. they could have had like it's, it's it's quote calorie unquote calorie.
0: healthy. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. So just little things like that. Tracking super important from a caloric and macronutrient standpoint, and from A weight and progressive overload standpoint competitive bodybuilders this is generalizing Uh, and the question is kind of what what are some common mistakes that you may Mm -hmm. see Mm -hmm. Um, like I said it's really interesting to see how different the natural side is and the enhanced side is funny enough to say I think a lot of the enhanced side they're not tracking their weights either they're kind of just doing different workouts they can benefit a lot from um They can benefit a lot from uh, tracking their loads, obviously, and and having more of a set routine rather than just saying like, okay, today I'm training chest and they go in there and they, they just like self-select every single exercise. And the next week they do four different exercises. So they're never really um, ingraining a certain uh, motor pattern and really learning the skill of lifting for that particular exercise and Mm -hmm. progressing it. Um, That's definitely something that I see. And then maybe on the natural side, um, it might be they're too far on the spectrum of eating flexibly or they're just Mm -hmm. tracking macros. They're not prioritizing like pre-workout nutrition and post-workout nutrition. um, So they can kind of dial in things a bit further and actually pay attention to more of the minutia. For the intermediate and advanced person, that would move the needle more than they would think. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it adds up over time. Definitely Mm -hmm. adds up over time.
0: Yeah. For me, and you've mentioned uh natural versus enhanced a couple of times. And to me, like there's two di- kind of different sides of the coin that I can kind of find frustrating. And on one side, it's like, I, I think that if you're smart about being enhanced and you know what you're doing and you know that there it's it's a it's a personal choice, and we're not necessarily going to go into the safety of it, but I think that those people should be respected for their physiques because they still work just incredibly hard and i I wish that there wasn't that stigma like oh well, he's on steroids, well, of course he's that big and, and strong and then yeah. there's the other the other side too where it's like uh you know there's those people that that maybe the average person sees on Instagram and they're big and jacked and people don't realize like, oh, I'm going to do this workout or I'm going to do this guy's plan because he's big and jacked and you don't realize that he's on all these steroids. Uh, so yeah. I, I, I that's just the kind of frustrating part to me is just uh, you want to sift through and find the good information that's applicable to you.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. Um, like you said, no one no one is going to look like a competitive bodybuilder unless they train hard and, and, and mm-hmm. their, whether they're utilizing PEDs or not. Um, so you gotta give credit where credit's due. But I hate the fact that um some of these people might not uh th- they may be lying about their status and then mm-hmm. people are, you know, claiming that their training program is going to help them out when their training programs are actually pretty terrible mm-hmm. or their supplement is gonna help them out, whatever it may be. So yeah, yeah I definitely see that on both ends of the spectrum. People kind of mm-hmm. need to take a, a step back and kind of um like self audit where they're currently at, what's their current experience level, what's their current training age, and then, you know, see who's providing information that aligns best with their actual situation. For
0: mm-hmm. sure, yeah. It's like, it's like a silly example, what comes to mind for me is like, those commercials that we've all seen of like some like 1999 ab machine and some like Jack guys on there that's probably been, you know, lifting weights and doing steroids for X amount of years. And he's like, all I did was use this, you know, the ab swing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then, like the, and then, like, I always think about Mike Matthews, too. He, he's kind of made the joke before that, like, if someone has Lifetime Natty in their, like, Instagram profile, like, pointing it out, it's like, yeah, they're probably on steroids.
1: <laughs> yeah, it depends. It definitely depends. Uh, yeah. I know it's, it's funny. Um, so, in regards to the natural bodybuilding thing, people who compete in the organization I compete in, WMBS,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we take so much pride in being natural, right? hmm the exposure is so much lower. Mm-hmm. There's no prize money. The sponsorships are like non-existent in natural bodybuilding. If somebody truly was enhanced, they would just—they would be so much better off competing. Mm-hmm. In they would have, uh, you know, they would gain more popularity and whatever it may be. So, uh, people that actually compete, especially in the WMBF, I, I really believe the polygraph uh, testing. I promoted a show this past August, so I've seen somebody fail the polygraph, and we mm-hmm. didn't allow them to compete. You know, so yeah. So I really trust the process. We do urine analysis and we send it out. And like I said, we're proud to be drug free and that's mm-hmm. why we feed in those organizations. Um mm-hmm. from the general pop kind of like looking in, um, I've gotten it when i when I've been contest lean, I've had my headphones on in the gym and I would hear people like whisper to their training partner, like, Oh, there's no way this guy is natural and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Um When the truth of the matter is, I'm 158 pounds. If they knew Mm -hmm. what I actually weighed and how low my body fat percent was, and my testosterone's in the dump, and how long it took me to get here, it'd be a different thing. But just because you're like you're lean and you have a decent amount of muscularity, it's it doesn't look normal because it's Mm -hmm. rare, Mm -hmm. you know. But um, it's totally achievable. It's just, Mm -hmm. yeah. And also
0: realizing, like, I think the thing that I didn't realize, like, you know, say as a teenager looking at bodybuilders, like seeing someone on stage, that's like the one day a year when they look like that, They've they've peaked for that day and they've, they've got Tanner on and they're, you know, doing all these different variables and it's like, yeah, it's an incredible feat, but it's like, you know, two weeks before and two weeks after they don't look like they look on stage. Of course, that's just not possible.
1: A thousand percent, a thousand percent. Like even like wearing a t-shirt you would never even think that that person lifts Mm -hmm. like might Mm -hmm. think they play tennis or like play golf, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they take off the shirt and you're just like, Jesus Christ, that's insane.
0: Yeah. That's where all the the minute stuff comes in. Like you talked about.
1: Yeah. Like I've, I've been to world championships. Uh, There's this one guy over in the UK, his name is Nathan Williams. One of the best physiques in the world, in my opinion, I saw him backstage at a competition in Miami and he was wearing like a normal polo. And he looked like he looked like a basketball player. Like he, he looked like a good athlete that had mm-hmm. good shape.
2: Mm-hmm. He took
1: off his polo and it was just absolutely Unbelievable. insane. Like once mm-hmm. they start flexing and posing and getting a pump, it's just like it's it's unreal. Like it's hard mm-hmm. to it's hard to realize the difference and how quick mm-hmm. that transformation kind of comes to life. So mm-hmm. yeah, man. Speaking, being on stage, good lighting, good angles. Um, it's all an illusion. The sport's an illusion. Like you hide your flaws mm-hmm. and you show. Anything,
0: so. Yeah, I think that the thing that draws me the most to bodybuilding is it's like you're basically you know doing something that's not really natural in the extreme sense. And I think that it's cool that you kind of see people battle, like you know, battle with their own body in a sense because like your body tries to keep you from being this lean. Because if you look at what people, how people existed. It, not even that many hundreds of years ago it's like we needed body fat and that body fat was supposed to feed us because we didn't always have food in our fridge and in our cabinets and so i think that one of the really interesting parts is is it's it's, it's a it's such a tough game because you're going against to to what your body's naturally adapted to do over time
1: absolutely that's what draws me to it the most too man it's like you're fighting your own physiology um mm-hmm. it's super cool it's super cool you're trying to push the limits in regards to how much muscle can you build and how much fat can you possibly lose, right? Like what's the Mm -hmm. leanest you can possibly get. So it is cool. It's definitely an art form and um, yeah, man, it's, it's a fun sport. I love it.
0: Yeah. And the other, the other thing I wanted to mention was back, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, you kind of touched on the fact that there's not a lot of notoriety for you and that's not really why you go after it. And no, I think that that's another really cool part too. I wish people realized uh, something that I try to, learn and all the different things I go after, which is, I would say that, you know, the biggest victories are the internal victories and the thing that you really struggle for. And you know how hard it is. Like no one else really knows how hard it is to get, say maybe to get stage lean or to, you know, if it's an intellectual pursuit to, to write a book or, you know, do this or that. I think that the best victories are internal. And if someone's just bodybuilding because they want to get that popularity and likes on Instagram, you know, whatever external mm-hmm. validation it might be, I don't think that that's number one going to make someone last and number two, going to make them, you know, have the happiness that they probably think that it's going to bring them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Um, and a lot of people don't realize like going back to the, um, the popularity side of the sport, the the exposure and the money side of the sport, Mr. Olympia in the IFBB, he gets $400,000, right? When mm-hmm. he went overall, um, he also weighs about, Anywhere from 240 to 280 pounds, typically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, WMBF World's uh, World Natural Bodybuilding Federation, first place in overall in men's bodybuilding. I think they make like 5, 6K
2: compared
1: to 400K. And then their body weight, if I look at the overall champs from the last four to six years, it's as low as like 163, 165, mm. and no higher than like 205s. So um, it's just a completely different world, just a totally Mm -hmm. different world. But from the outside, looking in, some people just automatically assume that someone that looks that good, you know, they see someone that lean, they're like, oh, there's no way it's natural. And and that was me when I was, you know, 17. I was extremely, uh, I was a non-believer. The first show Mm -hmm. I ever went to, um, I saw the teenage competitor who's actually a really good friend of mine now. I saw him on stage and he was only 19 years old. And I was like, there's no way that, that, that teen is natural. And I just didn't know mm-hmm. anything about the sport. And then I started learning about it and I kind of saw what was possible, saw the differences between amateurs and pros. And I was like, mm-hmm. Whoa, really cool.
0: Yeah. And it's not something I like to dwell on too much just because I think that I'm very, uh, another one of my principles is just focusing on what you could control but I think it's also useful to kind of take a look and realize what genetics play a part too, because I think it's always cool to look back, like if you ever see like Jay Cutler or like Ronnie Coleman back when they were like 16 or 17 years old, before they had done any steroids or anything, they already had just incredible physiques. So like a lot of the times those people are, are, that are at the complete top of the chain, it's like, it's just not realistic for a lot of people. And so, like I said, I don't like to dwell on it because I still think that you should work as hard as you can and do what you can with what you have but also yeah. there needs to be realistic uh, component to it too.
1: Absolutely. The same way that there's one LeBron James and there's one mm-hmm. Michael Phelps, there's only one Phil Heath and one Ron McCollum, mm-hmm. one Jay Culler. It's just the truth of the matter. You can't, you can't achieve that just by utilizing PDs. And even on the natural side, mm-hmm. if you look at the world championships, there's only one of the best. You know what I'm saying? Like the, their mm-hmm. genetics are through the chart, and, and it's, it's the best of the best in the world, just like any sport. Um, no matter how much basketball I play, I'm not going to be LeBron James. So, yeah, it's like, a, it's
0: like, yeah, sorry, go I'm, ahead. Yeah. No,
1: just because I'm not going to, you know, if I played basketball 12 hours a day and I didn't turn out to be as good as LeBron James, I'm not going to say LeBron James is on PED, mm-hmm. right? Say so he's genetically mm-hmm. blessed and, and he is what he is.
0: Yeah. It's just like one thing I, I, w- I would go back and tell myself when I first started lifting weights and like, I'd look at guys in the gym that just didn't like had a totally different body structure than me and like, Oh, that's what I'm going to be. That's what I want to look like. And then, you know, years later, it's like, why don't I look like this yet? You know, I've been working out and it's like, I have, it, you could probably describe it as like more of like a cardio built body. Like I'd probably be built for like running or swimming or something like that, but yeah, I love yeah. to lift weights and I'm happy with the physique that I've built, but I could never get like super, you know, big and strong. I'm just not, it's not, not really the way I'm built.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, I'm in a similar boat. Um, I've been doing this I've been bodybuilding for almost uh, 10, 11 years now. Mm-hmm. And, um, sorry, I've never been super strong. Like I've never benched over 255. Um, my squat, I've never done more than 315 for 10. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and that might be impressive to some, but to others that compete and do it for that long, mm-hmm. it's not impressive at all. And there's girls that are, you know, that weigh less than me that lift more than me and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I really so don't have you? genetics and stuff like that by any means.
0: So are you in the, the bodybuilding uh, category or do you do like a classic or men's physique then when you compete?
1: Yeah. In, in natural bodybuilding, I do the the bodybuilding category. Okay. Um, There's typically just bodybuilding and physique. And okay. In, in,
0: okay. I see. I see. And then
1: in the enhanced side, they have that classic. They division. have
0: the three separations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're well, yeah. winding down here. Uh, one of the last things I wanted to make sure we get to, uh, we're talking in the midst of the, corona outbreak i'm not sure exactly when this is going to uh go live but uh, it's been a cool opportunity i appreciate you joining me because i've really been trying to do a lot of podcasts during this time because i feel like when you get to talk about something that you and i both enjoy it's a good time to kind of take your mind off everything but uh, where i'm going with this is i think this is one of the instances that really shows you the importance of habits when we can't get to the gym most of the time we have to rely on home workouts and maybe even food isn't as available as it usually is and we're all thrown off our routines I'm curious what habits you found yourself relying on, as far as things that have helped you, you know, retain muscle, stay in the shape you want to be in, and above that, if you want to, just have, just staying in a positive uh, frame of mind.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Um, you know, I'm pretty fortunate. This has definitely changed my day to day, but mm-hmm. it's not super, super drastic for me because mm-hmm. there are plenty of days where I I would work from home anyway. Um, if not, I would be working in the university at the lab or even just going to a coffee shop to get work mm-hmm. done so it 's not the biggest deal for me um, but practicing good habits and just keeping the the habits i 've previously developed in is super important. So I still go for a walk first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. um, I do that fasted, I journal, I meditate, and i 've been doing actually since this Monday. The last four days in a row, I've been doing core workouts and stretching every morning. Mm -hmm. And that's that's something I want to continue um, for a multitude of reasons. But then from like a nutrition standpoint, um, I'm still making sure that I get four to five feedings of protein per day. That's just a Mm -hmm. habit that I've always had. And I'm not trying to allow this to affect me. Um, And I'm also trying to just look at the positives right now because of what's going on. Even though you can like order takeout or order delivery, um, I'm just not. I'm saving mm-hmm. money in that aspect. I'm cooking all my meals at home. And because I'm cooking all my meals at home, I've actually been tracking a bit more tightly rather than mm-hmm. just like, uh, being a bit more flexible. Um, so yeah, I've given myself a couple of new goals that I can focus on during this time because I have a little <laughs> bit more time than mm-hmm. you normally would um and I'm just trying to have a positive perspective about the entire situation mm-hmm. and keeping the previous daily practices in while adding a few more things because the time allows me to and hopefully i can kind of take these new practices and keep it part of my daily routine and daily mm-hmm. habits moving forward mm-hmm.
0: so yeah i think this, it's better yeah i think it's important not to just let yourself you know like if if you don't have strong habits in place you know if if going to the gym is is you know, everything to you, you could almost fall into that. Oh, well, fuck it. I'm going to fall off my diet and I'm not going to, you know, journal, meditate, whatever it is that keeps you mentally sound and physically sound. I think uh, something I mentioned a couple of times is just doing what you have with what you can, you know, accepting the situation. I think that you obviously have a positive mindset and it's, it's really helpful to maintain a positive mindset when you go about these, these habits.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah. Like I don't have gym access right now, either. Like most of us around the entire world, um, but I'm fortunate my community, they closed the community gym, mm-hmm. but we have like pull-up bars and we have like, mm-hmm. dip, like we have like a dip station and like things that I can do outside. Um, even if I didn't have that, I have like the, uh, pull-up station that you can put on your door frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, oh, a, yeah. mm-hmm. I have a couple of resistance bands and, um, I created a home workout for people. I don't know if you saw that on my Instagram. yeah. But- yeah. I created like a free template, so I kind of want to just plug that now to help everyone out that might be yeah. tuning, in, depending on when they hear this. Um, you guys can download this this free template on my website. It's SchoolOfGains.com with a Z, and just go to the free download section, and um, you essentially get it emailed directly to you. And and what it is, there's three day splits, four day split, five day split, and a six day split. And what's cool is, um, let's just say every single exercise or every single movement pattern. There's a drop-down menu where you select it and then, you know, four to 10 different exercises come up and you can self-select whatever exercise you can do based on the equipment you do have or don't have. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. even if you have no equipment whatsoever, there is an option for each and every movement pattern or muscle group, and you can still get in good home workouts. So I just Mm want to put that out there for people to know about um, because a lot of people are lost during this time. Like they might go to the gym and have a routine and they might love their routine. And now they don't have a routine. They're like, I can do these random workouts I see on Instagram, but it's not mm-hmm. an actual plan. Right. So I know a lot of people just do better when they have a plan. They know what they're doing sure. Monday through Friday, rather than just like swiping through Instagram and doing a random workout today and another random workout tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I hope that yep. helps you. Out.
0: Yeah. And I just love that positive reframing. Like the way I think about it is like, yeah, it sucks not going to the gym, but you know, in the months and years to follow, like, hopefully you have a better idea of what to do. You know, if you're away from your gym or something, you know, happens at your gym or you're you're traveling. And then also just noting that hopefully people realize, you know, you get back in the gym and it's not like you lost 50 pounds on your bench. And it's not like, you know, you, you, your muscles withered away, like your physique largely is going to stay the same. And with these at-home exercises, you can largely maintain uh, your physique too. So I think, just looking at the positive and everything, like this is going to help us grow, and you know we can all just hope and pray that it's not too long that we're that we're back to normal life, and that we've all remember the lessons that we learned from this from this hard time.
1: I agree. I think more good is going to come from this than bad in the mm-hmm. long
0: haul. Mm-hmm. Um, and just much,
1: just looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, just on the broad you know aspect of it, like I, I've noticed that people are so much more communal, just like supporting each other, and it kind of reminds you of the importance of like you know keeping up with your relationships with your friends and family and making sure that everyone's doing okay and yep. it's kind of like like you know when you see people out you know if you have to go get groceries or whatever everyone's so much more aware of just you know that everyone's everyone's in a struggle at all times and right now it's just more evident than ever
1: yeah yeah for sure man i like that that's that's well put everyone's always struggling with something mm-hmm. but now we're struggling with the same one thing as a community mm-hmm. and we're just being more compassionate um, but we're always dealing with some sort of struggle, some adversity at some point. Um, but it's usually personal and private, right? Mm-hmm, so, nobody mm-hmm. knows so now about it's out it. in the open. Yeah. Now everyone sure. knows about it. It's a really cool perspective,
0: man. All right, Chris. Well, I'll let you uh, get back to your day. If there's any, uh, thing else you want to say anywhere you want to tell people they can find you. Yeah, for else? sure.
1: Yeah. You know, just for more information, more educational insight. Um, I post a lot of my content on my Instagram which is just at christopher.barricat. My website that's primarily for educational content is schoolofgains.com. I have training programs on there. The free template is for the uh, limited equipment at home workouts. I have other training programs and eBooks for like full workouts when we are back to the gym. And um, you briefly mentioned my friend, Jeff Nippard, him and I did a nutrition eBook earlier in the year. That's called the ultimate guide to body recomposition. And you can find that there at SchoolOfGames.com. It's a full nutrition guide. Um, and that's really it, man. If you, if anyone's interested in coaching, feel free to reach out. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me um, at, on Instagram, or you can email me at Chris at Awesome,
0: man. Well, thank yeah. you again. I appreciate the time.
1: No, it was great connecting, man. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I wish you the best. We'll keep in touch on, on social and stuff like that. And, All the best to you, man.
0: Hey, it's Jake again. If this podcast provided you any value, I'd encourage you to share it with someone who you think might enjoy it. In addition, it'd really help me out a lot if you would go and subscribe or leave a review for my podcast. It's super easy. And in addition, if you have any questions or comments, I'd love for you to reach out to me By email or Instagram DM, which can both be found on my website. Thanks.